We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of the 53rd Annual Academy Awards on March 31st, 1981 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles, California. It was hosted by Johnny Carson, directed by Marty Pacetta, Produced by Norman Jewison and aired on ABC. From Los Angeles, California, now celebrating its bicentennial year and the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is proud to present the 53rd Annual Academy Awards. On the red carpet, Timothy Hutton was introduced as the son of the late Jim Hutton. Jim was a film and television actor, best known for playing Ellery Queen on the 70s television series of the same name. He also appeared in four films opposite Paula Prentice, whose work we've covered in Patreon reviews of Catch-22 and The Black Marble. Is he Timothy Hutton's dad? Yes. I, you said he was introduced as. I'm like, I thought the twist was going to be, but no, they were I wrong. Didn't, I didn't realize that he had a famous dad. I <laughs> thought it was interesting because mm. that's not how you would introduce Timothy Hutton now. His dad was on an obscure 70s show, but yeah, yeah. at the time, everyone would be like, I remember that show. Yeah, I get it. And he had just passed away like six months prior to this Academy Awards ceremony. The first commercial break after the red carpet material is a Polaroid commercial starring James Garner, who we'll see in Health and The Fan later this year and Marriott Hartley, who will meet in improper channels for 1981. Johnny Carson begins the show by acknowledging the historic events of the previous day. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure that all of you here and most of you watching tonight understand why we delayed this program for 24 hours. Because of the incredible events of yesterday, that old adage, the show must go on, seemed relatively unimportant. The Academy, ABC Television, and all of us connected with the show felt because of the uncertain outcome, as of this time yesterday, it would have been inappropriate to stage a celebration. The ceremony was originally scheduled for the previous day, but on the afternoon of March 30th, 1981, in Washington, D.C., President Ronald Reagan was leaving a speaking engagement at the Washington Hilton Hotel mere hours before the Oscars were set to air, when he was shot and wounded by John Hinckley Jr., operating on strict instructions from actress Jodie Foster. <laughs> Because they were not certain the president would survive the night, the awards were postponed a full 24 hours. So they actually stopped down, canceled the Oscars for that night, and said, please come back tomorrow. We'll do them over. C come back tomorrow. Dead or alive. We're going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. At that point, it's like, I hope, he's, I hope he's better. I forgot how early in Reagan's presidency he was shot, but he was only sworn in like a couple months ago, and they were already shooting at him. But the news today is very good, as you know. The president is in excellent condition at last reports. He's been conducting business. Carson also mentions that the president has requested a television to watch the ceremony from his hospital bed. Two weeks prior to the ceremony, Reagan recorded a message for the audience, and despite the attack, Reagan insisted they use his introduction. Film is forever. I've been trapped in some film forever myself. 
And as a former member of the Academy, I ask you now to join Nancy and me in enjoying this year's ceremonies. After Reagan disappears, they start playing a montage of older black and white movie clips. Sunset Boulevard, A Place in the Sun. The third clip they show is from 1944's Since You Went Away, wherein actress Jennifer Jones runs alongside a train shouting her goodbyes to boyfriend Bill. Do you remember where we might have seen a scene like that parodied this year? An airplane? Yep. Goodbye, darling! It's the exact scene that they're parodying in Airplane because no. she's running around steel girders yeah. and through crowds yeah. of people. The fourth clip comes from On the Waterfront with Brando in the backseat of a car. Remember that night in the garden he came down my dressing room and said, Kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. Which we saw reenacted by Robert De Niro this year for Scorsese's Raging Bull. You remember that night at the garden, you came down my dressing room and you said, kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. Remember that? This ain't your night. The audio fades down on the clip montage as a woman silhouetted in a chair facing away from the audience begins singing, hooray for Hollywood. When she turns around in a spotlight, we see that it's Lucy Arnaz singing, something she insisted against doing for her role in 1980's The Jazz Singer, sparking extensive rewrites from director Sidney J. Fury, which eventually led to his removal from the project. Applause breaks out when Steve McQueen shows up in the montage behind her. This would have been almost five months after he passed away from cancer in early November. It seems like they're doing a sort of in memoriam here because they follow up McQueen with Peter Sellers, who also passed away this year just before his film The Fiendish Plot of Dr. Fu Manchu hit theaters. And we cut from Sellers to Hitchcock in one of his cameos, also having passed away in 1980, just before Brian De Palma's Hitchcockian homage Dressed to Kill was released. They weren't all memorials, though, because that first clip was from Sunset Boulevard with William Holden and Gloria Swanson, who survived another eight months and two years, respectively. They wrap up the song, and Academy President Faye Kanan takes the stage for a speech before throwing it back to Johnny Carson. Uh, and as you know, each and every one of you here tonight, Reagan has asked for severe cuts in aid to the arts and humanities. It's Reagan's strongest attack on the arts since he signed with Warner Brothers. <laughs> I'll bet he's up and around now. <laughs> he jokes about the year's films, and we dip to commercials again. Revlon, Coca-Cola, Buick, GE. Carson invites the ushers and usherettes to the stage to sing a song about the Academy voting rules. Uh, okay, a song? <laughs> yeah, it's song is a strong word. It's a tap dance to them just reciting the <laughs> rules in unison. Oh my goodness. And it's completely interminable. I guess there must be a rule requiring them to explain all this because otherwise, who gives a shit? This is a nightmare. Explain the rules. The entire membership of the Academy may vote to nominate the outstanding picture of the year. Other nominations are decided by the members of various and several branches. For instance, actors nominate actors. Writers nominate writers. Directors nominate directors. 
Get it? Got it? Good. However, documentaries and short films, whether animated or the action is live, and motion pictures in a foreign language are put in nomination in a different way. Carson introduces Jack Lemmon and Mary Tyler Moore to present the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. I forgot they ever made people currently nominated present awards. The nominees were Judd Hirsch in Ordinary People, Timothy Hutton in Ordinary People, Michael O'Keefe in The Great Santini, Joe Pesci in Raging Bull, and as they announce the nominees, their faces are showing up in superimposed squares on the screen, but where Michael O'Keefe's face should be, we're looking at Martin Scorsese for some what? reason, and it stays <laughs> like that for the whole rest of the nomination Alrighty. part. Mary Tyler Moore almost opens the envelope before they remember to announce Jason Robard's nomination for Melvin and Howard. <laughs> Jack Lemmon was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> he takes it away from her. And Mary Tyler Moore looks ecstatic to announce that her film son, Timothy Hutton, is the winner in this category. Who did we pick for the Best Supporting Actor Oscar? And what are we calling our Oscars? Do you want to go first, Jess? Sure. I did just Google the name of the award that I picked, and it already exists as the name of an award, but I feel like that's going to be true for just about any Probably. word I pick. <laughs> I already forgot what I picked. <laughs> so I was going to call mine an ovation. Ovation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the Ovies? The Ovi. That sounds <laughs> I know. I, sexual. I, I thought it's, well, I thought it sounded feminine, but yeah, go for sexual. <laughs> okay. Uh, the ovi goes to, or the ova. Is it singular? <laughs> Is that just an egg? Yeah, the ova. There we go. <laughs> so it's because that's, you know, sure. singular. All okay. Right. The ova goes to. Do you remember your nominees? What category are we doing? This is a supporting actor. Do you want your nominees? Oh, no, I have them. Um, my, my ova goes to. (laughs) (laughs) Just say the ova. (laughs) (laughs) The ova goes to Scott Wilson from Ninth Configuration. (laughs) All right. Richard, what did you decide to call your awards? Uh, you already. Well, I no. already know because we were tiptoeing around what we called them and found out that me and Richard named ours the same thing. So he had the name first, so I switched. All right. Um, calling mine the Mulligans. Or the Mullies, probably. Uh, yeah, Mullies would be, you know, Oscar, I guess, is short for the Academy Award. Is it? I, I guess. Right. Uh, you won an Academy Award and you call it an Oscar as a nickname. Yeah. Right? That's a nickname. It is, yeah, it's a nickname for yeah. it. Yeah. So, right. so mine's an I guess ovation award. It doesn't need it. It's nicknamed an ova. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so um, I have Peter O'Toole from The Stuntman. All right. As best, and this was our, from The Stuntman, uh, and I should say that he was nominated for Best Lead Actor. Right. And I disagree. We considered him the supporting actor yes. in that film. Was So that was the first. Is that how it goes? Is that the order it goes in nowadays? That we do supporting actors so early? In I the think game? they usually okay. do start it that way because yeah. they kind of bookend it with the acting ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, get people to stick around. Um, I have decided to call mine. Well, I was thinking the pickups. Hmm. Like we're going back to fix it. Because you just love pickups. Or it could be reshoots so or second unit. That sounds like mine are less important, though. They are. All right, let's go with the pickups. Because that's like correcting mistakes. Mm-hmm. Okay, the pickup goes to Scott Wilson in the ninth configuration. So congratulations! I was very close to because I had nominated Peter O'Toole as well, but I ended up going with Scott Wilson. Hutton shakes Robert Redford's hand before heading on stage to collect his Oscar from his movie mom, 
He was 19 at the time of receiving this award. Carson takes to the stage to introduce Willie Nelson for a live performance of On the Road Again, one of tonight's nominated original songs. Commercial break for Buick, Zales, Sprite, and Revlon again. I know that's important to someone. Carson introduces Lily Tomlin to present a special award. It's a technical award, and Tomlin jokes that it's being awarded to the machine itself, in this case the optical printer. They use a blue screen to shrink Lily Tomlin down on the stage as a clear reference to her recent 1981 title, The Incredible Shrinking Woman. We get a quick behind-the-scenes look at some actors on a tilting ship with a blue screen sky and then footage of a raging sea, and the two clips are comped together with this award-winning technology. They play a string of examples of the optical printer at work, the original King Kong, the original War of the Worlds, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Close Encounters, Superman, Altered States. She presents the technical Oscar to the three inventors of the technology, Linwood G. Dunn, Cecil D. Love, and Edward Fuhrer of Acme Tool and Manufacturing Company. Seems weird that this award isn't being given the year the technology was invented. I think that happens often with yeah, they the technology retroactively, things. Yeah. They, they, it takes a while for everybody to realize that this is the thing to yeah. give an award to. They did the same thing to um, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> Since 1977, the scientific and technical Oscars have been awarded at a separate ceremony, but I guess this one was important enough to make the cut for the regular show. I think there's usually one technical Oscar in a, in a given ceremony. Carson comes back out. Uh, congratulations to the optical printer, but for every winner, of course, there has to be a loser, and tonight's losers are the Cuisinart and Wearing Blender. Carson introduces Alan Arkin and Margot Kidder to present the awards for Outstanding Animated Short Film and Dramatic Live Action Short Film. We didn't nominate films in this category, but The Fly from producer Ferenc Rofus wins the animated one, and Kidder accepts the award for the Academy on behalf of the director, who was not able to attend. But all of a sudden... Wait a minute. Oh, there he is! <laughs> the guy makes it to the stage in time to give a short speech. They announce the dramatic short winner, The Dollar Bottom, produced by Lloyd Phillips. In his speech, he thanks your buddy, Jeffrey Katzenberg. So we all know that the guy who was just running up the stage to make his speech was in the bathroom. Well, he <laughs> says something about, like, oh, they we we didn't get the invitation in time or something like that and it's like are you not the person that was supposed to come up and receive it then what are you doing on stage right yeah. now how did you get is in that here? not just a joke referring to the fact that it took him so long no he seems like nervous and he's like trying to give an excuse at the last second but he wants someone to receive the award on behalf of the film and i'm assuming the producer couldn't make it to the ceremony we get commercials for some tv shows greatest american hero aloha paradise and vegas a commercial for twa chevron Alpha Beta, the grocery store, mm -hmm. and then a promo for tonight's news. For those of you around the country who may have just joined us, I hate to ruin the suspense, but the tabulated ballots for best motion picture just turned up at the Mormon Church in Utah. The winner is Melvin and Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get it? The will turned up at the Mormon Church in that oh. movie? Okay. The audience thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> what did I know? <laughs> Leslie Ann Down and Richard Chamberlain step out to present the next award, Documentary's Short Subject, and the winner is Carl Hess Toward Liberty from producers Roland Halley and Peter Ledoux. The winner for Documentary Feature is From Mao to Mozart, Isaac Stern in China from producer Murray Lerner. Carson introduces Sissy Spacek and Peter O'Toole to present the Academy Award for Art Direction. The nominees are Coal Miner's Daughter, Elephant Man, 
Empire Strikes Back, Kagimusha, and Tess. Seems weird to have the titular coal miner's daughter on stage to announce the category that her film was nominated in, but I guess that's how they did it at the time. What did we do? Who did we? Who won the OVA? <laughs> um, struggling with this one a bit because I want to give it to The Shining, but also I feel like The Empire Strikes Back was pretty unique in its art direction. Um, I still think I'm going to give it to The Shining. All right. Where does the mulligan go? Uh, the mulligan goes to The Empire Strikes Back. So right, don't good. feel bad. So right, it, got, it got in there. It actually gets two out of three. I, I went with Empire also for the pickup. Um, I was very close to giving it to Popeye, but at the last second I decided, no, Empire Strikes Back actually had more set design than Popeye, and Popeye was pretty heavy duty. I'm just, you know, like the carpet. Like the fact that everybody in the world can recognize that carpet still right. means that art direction is spot on. Yep. Tess wins the Oscar. Carson introduces Irene Cara to sing both songs from fame as a medley. In his introduction, he mentions that this is the first time that a single film has earned two nominations in the category. We get another commercial break for GE, Tab, and a perfume called Charlie that seems directed specifically at cowboys. <laughs> at first I was like, does Charlie Daniels have a perfume? <laughs> and at the end it says it's from Revlon. But I was very confused. So another Revlon snuck in there. Yeah, the, Revlon was like one of the main sponsors of the show. Carson introduces Sigourney Weaver and Natasha Kinski, who so far everyone has referred to as Nastasia Kinski. I don't know which is correct. They're presenting the Costume Design Award, and our nominees are Elephant Man, My Brilliant Career, Somewhere in Time, Tess, and When Time Ran Out. I still don't know how When Time Ran Out got in there. I don't get it either. <laughs> um, who took the OVA for costume design flash gordon took the ova home that's a good call i proudly. think proudly uh the mulligan goes to kagemusha all right for costumes they well didn't design them <laughs> they already existed they just found them <laughs> somebody designed them costume find that's we decided that that was going to be the most posthumous yeah awarded <laughs> oscar ever <laughs> because these are original samurai uniforms um the pickup goes to Scott Bushnell for Popeye. Popeye takes it. Sigourney Weaver gives Natasha or Nastasia the card so that she can announce that her own film has won the award. Carson introduces MPAA president Jack Valenti, who I know best from a segment on the animated series Freakazoid, <laughs> where Jack Valenti explains the rating system. But if the movie's rated NC-17, that means that kids can't get in. Only adults can get in. Mom doesn't want to see adult movies, but Grandpa was in the Army, and he's not bothered very much, and so he decides to stay along with Sergeant Scruffy, who's just a dumb dog anyway. I hope that explains it. Now, back to the cartoon. <laughs> that is always how I remember the MPA rating system is through that segment. At the Oscars, Valenti presents an extensive behind-the-scenes featurette on the special effects of The Empire Strikes Back, and presents the Special Achievement Award to the film's visual effects team, Brian Johnson, Richard Edlund, Dennis Murren, and Bruce Nicholson. Usually, this would be like any other award, and they would offer nominations to three to five titles, but occasionally, as in 1981, the film is presented outright to the singular standout film of the year. Carson introduces Bernadette Peters and Billy D. Williams to present the award for Best Sound. The nominees are Altered States, Coal Miner's Daughter, The Empire Strikes Back, 
Fame, and Raging Bull. And again, a star of one of the nominated films is presenting the award. Who won the OVA for Best Sound? Um, I'll give the OVA to, I don't know, Altered States. Altered States, all right. Why not? Mulligan. Uh, the Mulligan is the same as the Oscar, because uh, I, I shouldn't spoil that. <laughs> no, you can spoil it. Okay. Um, it's Empire Strikes Back. It is also Empire Strikes Back for the pickup, so um, it gets two out of three there. And for the second consecutive award, the presenter's film wins. Commercial break. Magic Johnson is hawking the Buick Skylark, Revlon again, and a commercial for Bosom Buddies featuring the star of 1980's He Knows You're Alone, <laughs> tragically overlooked by the Academy. Another promo for the evening news promises more information on the guy who shot the president yesterday, and a commercial for Wells Fargo, a commercial for Pacific Telephone, and a commercial for the local news. Ooh. Apparently this was taped in the San Francisco area. <laughs> Carson introduces Dolly Parton to sing 9 to 5's theme song. I forget what it's called. When she finishes the song, Carson compliments her dress. I would like to mention that Dolly's dress was also designed by the Acme Tools and Manufacturing Company. Because she has boobs. <clears throat> I don't get it. She has large boobs, and it's, it's a very technical dress to support them. I don't give an over to that joke. <laughs> I wanted you to say, I don't get it. <laughs> Just keep explaining it over and over. Carson riffs for a bit and then admits that the stage crew didn't realize how long it would take to strike the set from the 9 to 5 musical number, so they needed him to stretch for time while they set up the next stage. Carson introduces Franco Zeffirelli and Brooke Shields to present the Best Foreign Film Oscar. The nominees are Confidence from Hungary, Kagimusha the Shadow Warrior from Japan, The Last Metro from France, Moscow Does Not Believe in Tears from the Soviet Union, and The Nest from Spain. The winner is Moscow Does Not Believe in Tears from the Soviet Union. Carson introduces a montage of famous dance scenes from film. We open on Gene Kelly singing Gotta Dance from Singing in the Rain. I'm not totally up on my dance movies, but I saw Saturday Night Fever in there, West Side Story, and then a big chunk in the middle is devoted to older black and white dance scenes featuring the Nicholas Brothers, who are just incredible. I highly recommend people look up this montage. And when the screen is lifted on stage, it reveals the Nicholas Brothers are here in attendance. Of course, they launch right into a terrific dance number, even in their 60s. Jesus, they could still do the splits. I can't do that now. <laughs> you never could. I used to be able to. A couple days ago, I could. I can't now. So that explains why you're in a wheelchair now. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. They take to the podium to announce the nominees for the best original score. The nominees are Altered States, The Elephant Man, The Empire Strikes Back, Fame, and Tess. And these guys are great. They honestly should have given out all the awards for the whole night. They're super funny. Who won the OVA for best original score? Uh, I'll give the OVA to Empire, I guess. All right. The mulligan goes to Empire. And the pickup also goes to Empire. That's the clear winner of the films of the year. That's the score that's the most immortal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it, it's probably, I think most people would agree, an overlooked. Uh, he should have won that, that Oscar. Fame wins, though. We get a commercial break for Revlon, Buick, another Polaroid commercial with James Garner, Coca-Cola. Carson introduces Jane Seymour and Richard Pryor, to present the Best Editing Oscar, Richard Pryor seems angry at having to read script from a prompter, 
to present this award. It's the same anger we've seen in his awful performances from 1980. I don't feel like I would put him on a stage Mm -mm. live ever. It's a little scary. And you can tell that uh, Jane Seymour's like freaked out about it (laughs) because she's like, he's really, he looks really mad. But she reads her part like a normal person. The film is rushed to the lab for processing. Then it comes back to the editors. (laughs) And then Richard Pryor says his part of the script. That's right. And they look at it first thing in the morning. That explains why most film editors are grouchy all day long. (laughs) There go all my future (laughs) close-ups. He's putting so little effort into the delivery that it's almost a new joke about how much he doesn't give a shit. The nominees are Coal Miner's Daughter, The Competition, The Elephant Man, Fame, and Raging Bull. Who won the OVA for Best Editing? I gave the OVA to Fame for Best Editing. Gary Hambling, congratulations. Um, I kept it uh, with Raging Bull. I also did that. Uh, so Thelma Schoonmacher takes a pickup and a mulligan. And she loses the OVA. Raging Bull won that night. Congrats, Thelma Schoonmacher. Carson introduces Donald Sutherland and Diana Ross to present the award for Best Supporting Actress. As weird as it's been having nominees present awards, it seems even weirder to ask someone who was widely considered to have been snubbed to present an award, as Sutherland is being asked to do here. The nominees are... Do you think he should have gotten one for Nothing Personal? I mean, I don't, but... Uh, yeah. Outstanding (laughs) clubbing. Of baby seals. He didn't do the clubbing himself. You don't know that. It was an insert. <laughs> maybe he volunteered, or maybe he brought that footage to the editorial. Like, <laughs> it's one of my I'll be in your movies. movie. <laughs> Find a place to put this shot in, and I'll be in the movie for free. Where did you get this footage? Don't Business. ask. <laughs> He's wearing a white seal coat. <laughs> now, where did I park uh, my car? Uh... <laughs> the nominees. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The nominees are Eileen Brennan, Eve Legallion, Kathy Moriarty, Diana Scarwid, and Mary Steenburgen. Eve Legallion's not here in the superimposed frames, we just have a black and white photograph of her, but she lived another decade after the ceremony, so she must just not have been available. Who won the OVA for Best Supporting Actress? I gave it to Kathy Moriarty for Raging Bull. All right. Um, this is This category was another one where we were discussing supporting versus leading and right. i put mary tyler moore into supporting and gave her the mulligan yes. for supporting um mine goes to edie mcclurg for cheech and chong's next movie the pickup it goes to edie <laughs> because she's just wonderful in that mary steenburgen won the oscar and in her speech she thanks jack nicholson for essentially making her career by casting her in going south against the advice of basically everyone mm-hmm Carson introduces Lalo Schifrin and Dionne Warwick to perform People Alone from the competition soundtrack. We get another commercial break, GE, Buick, Revlon's Scoundrel Perfume, and a promo for Barney Miller, then Taxi, and then 2020. Carson introduces a medley of famous film songs. I'm going to sing you a little bit of the song, and I want you guys to tell me what movie it comes from. No, these aren't 1980s songs. Correct. These are songs that came out between 1929 when the Oscars started and close to 1980 but nothing from 1980 are they all best song winners no okay but they are all popular songs um and i think i can sing most of them (laughs) there's about there i think there's two that i'm just gonna read you the lyrics because i do not remember at all how it went 
And I'm going to try to avoid saying the name of the movie when I sing the song. So you won't be singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow when you sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. No, I can say the name of the song. I can't say the name of the movie. Okay. So I'll have to skip the part where she says, The Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Proceed. The hills are alive with... The sound of music. Oh, that's good. (laughs) When I'm calling you... Mars Attacks. That's it. (laughs) It is in that movie. Perfect. What's it originally from? I'll give you a clue. Pat McGrath told us. Oh, it's not from those lips, those eyes. It was in that movie, but it's not from that movie. He told us what it's it's from from a play, though. In our review of that, it's from Rosemary in 1936. Okay. And he mentioned that in our "Those Lips, Those Eyes" review, but it does appear in "Those Lips, Those Eyes" and in "Mars Attacks." (laughs) It's called Slim Whitman's Indian Love Call. Okay, next song. No one else can end this yearning. I don't know how to sing this one. You're not going to get it either. Okay. It's, the song, the song <laughs> is called... Thanks for giving me the chance. <laughs> you want to guess? No. I don't. <laughs> now, you're going to have that attitude about it. The song's called Be My Love, and it's from the Toast of New Orleans, 1950. What? Almost had it. Yeah. He was close. Old Man River, that old man river. Do you know what that's from? Uh, is that from Ragtime? It's from Showboat. Showboat. Uh. 1936. Don't know why there's no sun up in the sky. I have no idea. It's the next lyric. You don't, you don't know that? You don't recognize that song? No. Your rendition is awful. No, I don't know that song. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just sing the whole thing then. Don't know why there's no sun up in the sky. Stormy weather. It's from Stormy Weather. Is that the name 1943. Of a movie? <laughs> yep. Never heard of it. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I thought you weren't going to say the names of the movies. I'm not. It's not in White Christmas. <laughs> ah, tricked you into telling me that. <laughs> Did you, though? <laughs> Did that help? <laughs> no. You could have just guessed White Christmas if you wanted to trick me. <laughs> White Christmas. <laughs> Wrong. Damn it. Any other guesses? You get infinity. <laughs> it's the same guy. Yeah. Um... Irving Berlin. That's it. Well, he wrote it. <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street. Holiday Inn, 1942. Holiday Inn. Oh, I always get Holiday Inn and... White and Christmas, Christmas mixed, mixed up, up anyways. They're both They're practically ho- hotel the same movies. movies. Yeah. <laughs> hotel Christmas movies. <laughs> Somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> I have no idea. Way blank, blank. <laughs> Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Wizard of Oz, 1939, which features prominently in this Saturday's upcoming review of Jim Jarmusch's Permanent Vacation. Heaven, I'm in heaven. I should know this too. Cause it's, it's Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. God damn it. Not 42nd Street. No, you want a clue? I'm going to give you a gesture that will not help the podcast audience. <laughs> okay. <laughs> top hat? Yep, top hat. I pointed at my balls. <laughs> 
<laughs> Which is odd because he's wearing a top hat down there. Yeah. It's, it's the Oscars, dude. <laughs> I gotta dress up. <laughs> My Opa's wearing a dress. <laughs> oh, God. When somebody loves you, it's no good unless he loves you all the way. It's Sinatra singing it. I don't know if you know the movie. It's called The Joker is Wild, 1957. I would not have gotten that. This one is going to be hard to <laughs> the last not one was say not the hard? name of the oh, movie. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll have to skip the first three words. Love me true. Never let me go. Love me tender? That's correct. 1956. Featured in what film from 1980? I don't remember. I'm going to guess Urban Cowboy. Guess the one where Elvis writes letters to a little girl. <laughs> what the fuck was that movie called? <laughs> Miracle something? No. Um, no I really wanted you to t- call touched it. Touched by Love? Yeah, it's called Touched by Love. Okay. <laughs> but you thought that was the name of Resurrection <laughs> in our <Yeah>. last special <laughs> episode. That's <laughs> why so I wanted you to call it Resurrection this time. Yeah. Just get them flipped. Here's the next one that I don't know the music part to. Thank heaven for little girls. <laughs> Shirley Temple movie? No. Oh. I don't know. Gigi, 1958. I never saw it. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Well, that's from Annie Get Your Gun. Who is it sung by? I think it's sung by the ensemble. It's from a film in 1954 called There's No Business Like Show Business. Oh. <laughs> and it's sung by Ethel Merman. Okay. What's the closest we get to this song in 1980? It's another Ethel Merman song. You'll be swell. You'll be great. <laughs> That's the world on a plate. plate. Start here. Start now. Honey, everything's coming up right. And then they sedate her and she passes out in the hospital in an airplane because one of the other soldiers thought he was Ethel Merman. Oh, okay. Next song. Dolly'll never go away. <laughs> Dolly'll never go away. Dolly'll never go away again. Hello, Dolly. That's correct. I got one. <laughs> You'll get this next one, too. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I'm gonna be a part of it. New York, New York. That's right. (laughs) Liza Minnelli, New York, New York, 1977. At the end of the mix, Luciano Pavarotti takes the stage, just singing some random opera song. Not sure why, but he obviously gets a standing ovation. Carson introduces Andrew Dickinson. No, he doesn't. Yes, he did. He got a standing one. He didn't get... Oh, he didn't get (sighs) just an ovation. You wouldn't give him an ovation? No. Would you give him an ova? No. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do with it? Teach it to sing. What? (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) Carson introduces Angie Dickinson to take the stage with Pavarotti and announce the winner for Best Original Song. The nominees again are Fame, 9 to 5, Out Here on My Own, On the Road Again by Willie Wilson, and People Alone. Did you you say say Willie Wilson? Yeah, you gotta say it again. That's what Pavarotti says. Oh. <laughs> he goes, Willie Wilson. And then everyone starts laughing, and then he tries to correct himself, and she's like, no, they know they know who it is. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, I 
did pick a winner, but it's not highlighted anymore. Who won the OVA for Best Original Song? Working nine to five, what a way to make a living. Richard, who won the mulligan? Um, I gave it to Fame. I... No, you got to sing it. Fame! Something, something, something. <laughs> Clearly stuck with you. I'm yeah. going to Wizard of Oz. Fame! <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, stains, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to clean. Nine to five, best original song for the pickups. Fame won the Oscar, and Carson introduces Charlie Chan himself, Peter Ustinoff, to present a collection of famous film dialogue in a montage. Guess the film from the quote. I'll tell you the actor and the quote. Betty Davis. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Guess. All About Eve? That is correct. Wow. <laughs> wow. The next actor is Strother Martin. So you might already know the quote. What we've got here is failure to communicate. What movie is that from? Is it Cool Hand Luke? It is Cool Hand Luke. The next line is from John Wayne. Fill your hands, you son of a... Gunfire, gunfire, gunfire. That's from True Grit. That is. The next line is George C. Scott. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. Is that Patton? It is Patton. I've not <laughs> seen <formula>. that one. <laughs> Robert Duvall... I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. Apocalypse now. Correct. And are you it, just giving these to me, or because well, because you <laughs> you're bad at it, and I'll let you no, answer. I to know you got to try these. But I was I was going to say that uh, what's funny is that that's who John Wayne was shooting at. <laughs> in oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Peter Finch. You guys know Peter Finch? Mm-mm. He won his Oscar posthumously for this role. Did he design the Kagimusha outfits? <laughs> yeah. Ancient Japanese character, Peter <laughs> Finch. <laughs> I want you to get up right now. I want you to go to the window, open it, stick your head out, and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah, that's network. That is network. Marlon Brando. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. To Godfather. To Godfather. All right. Walter Brook. I hope you'll forgive my Walter Brook impression <laughs> because Well, I don't know who Walter Brook is, so His I quote is you. one word long, so I couldn't pick up the accent. <laughs> Plastics. Oh. What's it from? The graduate. Correct. Next quote is from Margaret Hamilton. You'll probably know the answer from that alone. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. Fame. Fame. <laughs> I'm going to live forever. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, the next line is from Harrison Ford. May the force be with you. Is that also fame? <laughs> if he was in that, yeah. then yes. It's, it's from Star Wars. The first one? The first one. Okay. The next quote is from Johnny Weissmuller. <clears throat> <laughs> I assume this is a Tarzan movie. Is it called Tarzan? It is. Okay. <laughs> uh, the next quote I didn't recognize at all, but it's Shirley MacLaine, and she says, Just think, you can put all the words down on paper like that, and all I can do is hem braziers. 
I didn't recognize it. No idea. It's from something called Some Came Running in 1958. Mm. Mm. Clifton Webb. I don't use a pen. I write with a goose quill dipped in venom. No idea. Laura, 1944. Charles Lawton. I'll live to see you, all of you, hanging from the highest yardarm in the British fleet. Is that Mutiny on the Bounty? It is. 1935. Next one, Clark Gable. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Gone with the wind. I'm sorry. It was oh. Casablanca. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Vivian Lee. I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. Streetcar Named Desire? Correct. Greta Garbo. I want to be alone. I know. It's when Garbo speaks, too. It's like... Uh, I don't know. Grand Hotel, 1932. Where do we hear this line parodied in 1980? In the sixth dimension, they trap the father, and his head is sticking out of a prison cell window, and they try to help him, and he says, I want to be alone. Oh, my God. Nobody's going to remember that. I remembered it. (laughs) Lauren Bacall says, you know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? It's from 1944's To Have and Have Not. I don't have the actor's name for this next quote, and I didn't recognize the movie, but the quote is, I knew the the second half of the quote from the first half of the quote, so I'll just, that'll be the test here. Okay. (laughs) Dr. Livingston. I presume. Yes. Which is from Stanley and Livingston in 1939. The next one is Sidney Poitier. They call me Mr. Tibbs. What's that from? Well, it's the we watched the second one of the, the sequel, which is named which after is that quote. Mr. Tibbs. It's called "They Call Me Mr. Call Tibbs." Me, it's that, the full quote. It's a full yeah. quote. Um, what was the name of that movie? I don't remember. The Heat of the Night. In the Heat of the Night. Yes. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, the next quote is from Bela Lugosi. I'm Dracula. <laughs> what was that from? I do believe that that's from Ed Wood. <laughs> that's right. No, it's from Dracula. Gary Cooper. If you want to call me that, smile. I didn't recognize the quote either. It's from the Virginian, 1929. Mm. It's the oldest one on the list. Boris Karloff. Is <laughs> <laughs> that really the quote? <laughs> that's basically the quote, yeah. Any ideas? Fame? The mummy. No, it's Frankenstein. <laughs> Orson Welles. Rosebud. Citizen Kane. And that was the last one. Yusinov presents the Best Adapted Screenplay winner. Nominees are Breaker Morant, Coal Miner's Daughter, The Elephant Man, Ordinary People, and The Stunt Man. Who won the OVA for Best Adapted Screenplay? I gave it to The Shining. The Shining, eh? The Shining. All right. Uh, I feel bad I, I gave it to i don't feel bad but feel you, you have the power here richard you don't I have don't, to no, feel bad no, no i i i honestly change your vote no <laughs> I, I i i do agree with the the academy uh for ordinary people alvin Sargent, very good i went with breaker morant it was neck and neck with ordinary people so breaker morant also but, is very good yeah so i went with breaker morant for best adapted screenplay uh they they won the pickup 
Ordinary People wins the Oscar, but Yusinov calls it The Ordinary People when he's saying the title. Uh, Yusinov returns to announce the nominees for Best Original Screenplay. The nominees were Brubaker, Fame, Melvin and Howard, My American Uncle, and Private Benjamin, who won the OVA for Best Original Screenplay. I gave it to Little Darlings. There you go. Richard. Very honorable mention. It is on my nominees list. Uh, I gave it to It's My Turn. Eleanor Bergstein. Very nice. Um, I had to make an, an adjustment to my nominees <gasps> because I had nominated The Empire Strikes Back, but I found out today... It's adopted? Sequels are not considered original screenplays, ah. even if it's not based on a previous work. If it's a <laughs> sequel and it has characters from another story... Why are you laughing? Because I realized I said adopted. But then, adapted. then how did the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Return of the King, won? It won Best Picture. Did it win Best? It... No, I guess. guess yeah, it would, it's yeah. definitely adapted. <laughs> it's from a book. Um, it is. Yeah, it's called Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. Hmm. No, that's not true. So I replaced it with Stardust Memories by Woody Allen as a nominee, but the. Pickup goes to Michael Cimino for Heaven's Gate. Uh, the winner of the Oscar was Melvin and Howard somehow. <laughs> we got to a commercial break. We see Sprite, Zales, and it's kind of funny. In the Zales commercial, it's from the perspective of a husband giving his wife an anniversary ring. In voiceover, he thanks her for putting up with all of his foibles. And the three he mentions specifically are letting him sleep while she feeds the baby in the middle of the night, letting him watch football all weekend, and lastly, he thanks her for not getting mad that he works from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. occasionally. We see a wife picking up her husband from work in the rain, in the dark, presumably with a baby in the car because she can't just leave it at home. Then he gives her the ring, implying he stayed until 9 p.m. on their anniversary. <laughs> you remember. So I just have to buy one ring a year and I never have to spend any time with my family? Sweet deal. Thanks, Zales. <laughs> We get a commercial for Barbara Walters after Oscar special that aggravatingly describes Brooke Shields as America's newest sex symbol. Reminder, she was 15 at the time of these Oscars. We see a McDonald's commercial and then a Calvin Klein commercial starring America's newest child sex symbol, Brooke Shields. A local commercial for the March of Dimes, a commercial for United Airlines focusing on their Hawaii flights, and a clip for the evening news again. Robert Redford is announced to the stage to present an honorary Oscar to Henry Fonda, who, ironically, would take home Best Actor the following year, a feat accomplished by only one other actor, Redford's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid co-star Paul Newman, with an honorary Oscar in 86 and Best Actor in 87 for The Color of Money. Redford presents a montage of Henry Fonda performances, Young Mr. Lincoln, The Best Man, Mr. Roberts, Once Upon a Time in the West, my Darling Clementine, The Grapes of Wrath, On Golden Pond, which won't actually premiere until December of 81, mm -hmm. and for which Fonda will receive his next Oscar. Fonda takes the stage to accept the award from Redford. Carson introduces Blythe Danner and Steve Martin to present the Oscar for Best Cinematography. Um, before we present this award, Steve Martin has been asked to tell you in his own inimitable style about cinematography. Well, many people who don't live in Hollywood or work in the movies may not understand what it is exactly that the cinematographer does. Well, let's examine the word. Cinema, meaning film or movies, and tographer. 
confused look takes over his face, and he takes a few steps away from the podium in deep thought. Blythe Denner picks up without him. The nominees for Outstanding Achievement in Tography are... (laughs) (laughs) The Blue Lagoon, Coal Miner's Daughter, The Formula, Raging Bull, and Tess. Who won the OVA for Best Cinematography? I'm giving it to the Shinnin again. All right, John Alcott. Yes, I will also give it to the cinematographer of Terror Train, John Alcott. <laughs> for Terror Train. Uh, I gave it to Vilmos Zygmunt. He takes the pickup uh, because Heaven's Gate is gorgeous. Also, yeah, Every frame is, is frameable. Jeffrey Unsworth wins the Oscar posthumously for his work on Tess, and his daughter accepts the award on his behalf. Carson introduces King Vidor and George Cukor to the stage to present the award for Best Director. One of these gentlemen has a film that we'll be reviewing for 1981, but they both look easily over 100 years old. The nominees are David Lynch, Robert Redford, Martin Scorsese, and you can see Martin Scorsese mouthing the words, I'm not going to win, and shaking his head no to his friends around the table, Richard Rush, and Roman Polanski. For some reason, they use a photograph for Roman Polanski. Oh, that's right. He raped a kid and flew to Europe. Who won the OVA for Best Director? Stanley Kubrick. It's a good choice. Uh, I, once again, went with the Academy choice of ordinary people. All right. Robert Redford. I gave it to Michael Cimino for Heaven's Gate. Interesting. Redford wins the Oscar. We take a commercial break. We see Tab, Polaroid with Garner again, GE's new microwave oven, that you don't have to make room on your counter for because you install it above the stovetop. Progress. Buick. Masada, a miniseries set in ancient Rome starring Peter O'Toole. Coors Light. And then weirdly, the next commercial is for the Eurail Pass, which is literally a train pass for traveling across Europe. Apparently they thought there was enough of a market in the U.S. for that to buy an ad during the Oscars. Carson introduces last year's Best Actress, Sally Field, to present the Oscar for Best Actor. The nominees are Robert De Niro, Robert Duvall, John Hurt, Jack Lemmon, and Peter O'Toole. I have to mention for this category that had I seen Black Marble in time, I would swap Stacey Keach's nomination here for Robert Foxworth from the Black Marble, but I had not, and neither will win anyway, so it's kind of irrelevant. But I just wanted to make the point that Robert Foxworth in the Black Marble is fantastic, and if you haven't seen the film, find it and watch it. What was Sally Field's nomination for? Was it Norma Ray? Yes. Okay. Or her win? Yes, that's correct. Is that the You Really Like Me speech? Yes, it is. Okay. Or wait, no, that's Jim Carrey. <laughs> in, the, in the mask. <laughs> yeah. um, Who won the OVA for Best Actor? Best Actor, I have Jack Nicholson. For The Shining? Yeah. It's getting kind of boring. They kind of sweeped my, my ovas. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> sweeped my ovas. Are you donating? <laughs> Richard. Uh, I gave it to John Hurt for the Elephant Man. Perfect. I gave it to a different Hurt. William Hurt for Altered States. Really? Yeah, that was his first performance, and he's completely believable mm-hmm. as a mild-mannered scientist and as a completely insane like drug abuser. So... It's just a phenomenal performance, and it shows incredible range for someone who has not been in another movie yet. De Niro won the Oscar, and we get a shot of Jake LaMotta in the audience during De Niro's acceptance speech. De Niro thanks most of the LaMotta family, including Joey LaMotta, the brother who Joe Pesci plays in the film. 
Vicky LaMotta, and all the other wives. Joey LaMotta, even though he's suing us. I hope we get that settled soon enough so that I can go over to his house and eat once in a while. Carson introduces last year's Best Actor, Dustin Hoffman, to present the Best Actress Award. Nominees here are Ellen Burstyn. <laughs> I put I just put Private Benjamin instead of, <laughs> instead of her name. Goldie Hawn, Mary Tyler Moore, Gina Rollins, and Sissy Spacek. Who won the OVA for Best Actress? Uh, yep, you guessed it. Shelley Duvall. All right. For The Shining. It's a good call. Uh, I gave it to Sissy Spacek. All right. I, it's, it's incredible that she did all her own singing. In my opinion, Mary Tyler Moore's performance was the lead actress of the film, and as a result, she takes the Best Actress statue for me on the uh, on the pickup side. At the Oscars, Sissy Spacek won. We see Loretta Lynn excited in the audience. Carson introduces Lillian Gish to present the award for Best Picture. Nominees are Coal Miner's Daughter, the Elephant Man, Ordinary People, Raging Bull, and Tess. Who won the OVA? <laughs> Do you want to guess? <laughs> the Shining. Yeah. Congratulations, Shining. Uh, I also gave it to the Academy winner again, uh, Ordinary People. I also gave it to the Academy winner, <laughs> Ordinary People. Uh, I know it seems counterintuitive to rehold the Oscars and give the same movie Best Picture, but it fits my idea of what a Best Picture is. And But this uh, is our chance. To right the Bronx. Well, I th- I think it's it has fewer flaws than The Shining does. Uh, in, what? No. In uh, my opinion, that's not your opinion. That's my opinion. And I only have one film that was nominated, or I guess two, with the winner. Because uh, the other in common. Th- yeah, because the other three were all because well, The Shining was in my nomination, uh, and my brilliant career was in Heaven's Gate. Yeah. I was trying to at least give them the honor, but I feel yeah, like ordinary I just, people. I'm just saying that, I don't know. I think that the Oscars always do this thing where they have a particular idea of what kind of movie is worthy of an Oscar. And it's, thing, and it's those things that keep something like The Empire Strikes Back out of that category. Mm. And so, you know, that was one of my nominations. I don't. It didn't win because obviously I like The Shining better than it. But yeah. I'm just saying that. You don't have to pick something that you think is like an Oscar winner. I picked the one that I respond to with more emotion, okay. which is Ordinary People. And and I picked more in in mind with how the Academy would pick, with a few exceptions. You're like an old white man, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I am an old white man. <laughs> the producer invites Robert Redford on stage to share the moment with him. Johnny Carson introduces a clip to close out the show. It's kind of a weirdly dark way to end the show, but I like it, so I'm borrowing it. For <laughs> Is it this footage episode. of Reagan being shot? Yeah. <laughs> Good night, folks. Bang, 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 bang. I did it for you, Jody. <laughs> or whatever your name was in Taxi Driver, I forget. Oh, I'm going to go watch it again. No, you're going to jail, sir. I think that's everything for the 53rd Annual Academy Awards. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We have a Discord now. You can find the button at the top of our .com and join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future. Also search for Vintage Video Podcast on YouTube and subscribe to our new channel there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you folks are enjoying 1981 so far. It's going to be a bit longer than a year until the next re-Oscars. And they won't fall exactly on the anniversary, but we want to give ourselves time to see everything eligible and process it. 
We leave you now with the closing clip of the 53rd Annual Academy Awards from 1950's Sunset Boulevard. Mr. Mill, do you mind if I say a few words? Thank you. I just want to tell you all how happy I am to be back in the studio making a picture again. You don't know how much I've missed all of you. And I promise you I'll never desert you again. You see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. <laughs> 